0: I'll be ready going on let's see get my comments going here go ahead and like share you know I'm gonna go I'm gonna go in a little bit tonight I ain't gonna be too hard but you know a little bit a little rough a little rough a little roughy rough what's going on well so I I got on late but it's not gonna be a long long show tonight you know this is a black history month Um, which is weird that we're only recognizing one month out of the year for all the uh, people from Africa that came here and helped build this country. Um, So, you know, I I guess I appreciate the one month, but I'm I'm a living proof that, you know, we were created here for a purpose. We were brought here for a purpose. But anyway, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a black male in the United States. And some of the pressures that we have to uh to deal with. Not only mentally, but physically, emotionally. Um, you know, there are things where sometimes we gotta bite our own tongue and, and kind of be quiet. You know, last week was fun. I had a good time. I, I appreciate my my crew, organic soul for coming through. One of the dopest shows I've done. I mean, I've done a lot of dope shows, I'm not gonna lie, but that one I, was very fun, had a lot of good music, did a lot of good talk and conversation. But um, but this week I was gonna I was gonna put on a guest, but I decided to just go ahead and talk to you guys and, and share some things with you that's on my mind uh, about what you know what what I'm dealing with as a black man in the United States of America. Um, it's kind of odd, you know. Like I I was born here, raised here. Of course, you know I'm not um, um, an immigrant per se. Um, I have a lot of mixed mix in me. I have some white, I have some Indian. um, I have some West African uh, in my blood. So you know, I've got a lot of different things that are going on inside of me. But the thing that the things that I've encountered during, you know, my life is that people, people will treat you differently because of your skin color and because of the way you look. Uh, If anybody knew me about, it's been about 10 years, maybe a little longer. I just have dreads down to my back. And uh I, I look really, really burly. I look like a man, like oh, oh, oh. uh I look I look burly. I had the beard, I was heavy set, uh wide load, you know what I mean? So like I was a big dude, but I had it, I, had, I had a beard, I had dreads down to my back. Um I really was like, you know, I was I was your typical if they put an APB out of for a black man with dreads. You would have found me Uh, i would i would have been the first one pulled over in a group um and so that that was what i did and i worked in a corporate company i worked for a law office and i loved it i love working law i mean that's what i'm going to school for now i'm going to finish my criminal justice degree here next year and then i'm going off to law school um because i really feel like i want to be an an asset to the community so you know i'm just working on these things you know i'm trying to trying to build and be a better Person in this world and be able to really provide for my family and take care of my community. I want to do all the things that you're supposed to want to do. But I also come with the realization that I'm not going to be accepted everywhere that I go. Um, so I was working for this law firm, had my dreads. I'm a very intelligent young man, I catch on quickly. Um, and I was going through the process, you know, I was, I was doing things. I started running a section of my department. Um, And that went really well. A lot of people didn't understand why I got the job because I wasn't there that long. But I I was intelligent. I knew how to do things. I understood the processes. I asked questions. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to gain knowledge. I didn't want to be pigeonholed. Um, That's one thing a lot of us have that problem is we get pigeonholed in a position we don't want to ask to expand. But I've always been one to ask to expand. So I I learned new things. So um, I wanted to grow in this company. I wanted to grow in the firm because, you know, law was, was a heart. I may not have enjoyed what we were doing in that part because I was handling foreclosures, um, but I just loved the fact that I was around law and attorneys and got to learn not only the lingo, but how to read documents. Like I was eating it up, eating it up. But then there was this position that came, and this position was pretty a decent pay, pay position where you would be working directly with the partners of the firm. And, um, now I'm not saying, let me tell you a story. So I went and I wanted this position badly. So the first time I interviewed for the position, I didn't get it. Cool. Came back up again. I knew it was gonna come back up because nobody was as qualified as I was to fulfill this position. And so I've contemplated it. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, what's up, Leroy, DJ Bruiser B, um, uh, so I'm sitting here and I'm trying to figure out, OK, well, so I contemplate and I'm like, you know what? I got to look more corporate. I really have to look the part. So I cut all my dreads off. Hey, my sunshine, bless you. So I cut all my dreads off. I ha- I went and got a fade. Went and had my interview and I started wearing suit, shirt, tie, shirt and tie and slacks. And like I wasn't really, you know, wearing the comfortable stuff I was wearing before like hoodies and fitteds and and polos and things like that, I actually changed my appearance. Because in my mind, if I changed, if I looked the part, if I looked like what they look like, I'm gonna get the position. And sure enough now, it's not why I got hired, but I feel like it aided to my ability to get hired. The moment, after I cut my hair, literally everything fell in place. I had a great interview, I got the job, um, I transferred for a new department and I thrived there. And and I was, I guess not, I wasn't saying I felt more respected when I cut my hair off. And now I started growing dreads because I started learning about, you know, what I kind of, it was like the essence of, um, of Samson. I kind of was thinking about how important hair is. And so that's why I grew my dreads originally. Like, you know, I wanted to be authentically me because I felt comfortable with that. I had braids for a while. I knew I looked a little thuggish. I want to change that up. So I get my dreads. And anyway, so I'm saying that to say this. I've learned that as a young black man who wants to work and operate in the corporate world for a lot of things. I thank God for the position I'm in now for my job currently that I have because um, I, I am what they call a civil servant. Um, I do love the fact that they allow me to be unathen- unapologetically me and I can be authentic. In who I am. So I started growing my dreads back again. Um, But I've learned though that people do perceive you because you're a young black man. And I have education. I I am, like I said, I say I'm very intelligent, but there are walls that are put up or designed to put up to stop us from moving forward. And I have to try to educate other young men listen, there's a certain way that you carry yourself. so I am I am a part of the uh, firearms club. I do believe in having weapons and taking care of your family and protecting your family. I've been like that way for a long time. I'm not a, I'm not saying I'm advocating or anything like that. I'm saying that's just what I believe. Your beliefs are your beliefs. Um, so I believe so. In in the state of North Carolina, you can open carry, but I am not able to open carry, and I'll tell you why. And it's a double standard. And it's, it's it's uncomfortable, but so I, especially in the day and age of wearing a mask, right? So we have to wear a mask everywhere we go. So one, is, one against me is I'm a black man. Two against me is I have to wear a mask everywhere I go. Three against me is if I have a pistol on my hip, as I walk into any store where it's legal to carry open, I'm gonna not only get side eyes, I'll probably get a phone, uh, the 911 will probably get a phone call and they'll probably come out and have a conversation with me not because i've done anything wrong but because i'm a black man in america i walked into a store the other day of last week and there was a tall white guy who had his mask on but he was open carry and i was like i felt a disservice because if i'm an american citizen and you're an american citizen and we both have the same rights Why can't I do what you do without the fear of that something bad is going to happen to me? Why can't I live the same truth that you live? And that goes back to the common saying, we live in two separate Americas. We live in an America for people who are white and we live in America for people who are black. We are not the privileged. We are the ones that always have to bring ourselves out of the mud to survive every day. We have to fight a fight every day to make sure that I that nothing happens to me because I'm black. I'm not even talking about the crime within our own communities. That's something else that we will we'll talk about eventually. But for me as a black man, when I step out, like uh, I got into an accident a while back, and it was like everybody kept on checking on me and making sure I wasn't going to spaz out. But I I was fine. I was happy to be alive. But because because there's this st- the stereotypical thought that we don't know how to control ourselves in crisis, and we don't know how to handle ourselves when crisis shows up, I mean, that was eleva- uh, That was relevant during Tus- Tuskegee. That's the reason why they didn't want us to fly in the first place, because they didn't think we knew how to control ourselves. They didn't think that we could handle the altitude. They didn't think that we were capable of being civilized humans. And protecting a country that we have learned to grow and love. I respect the United States of America, I do. I, I don't agree with how a lot of my ancestors and uh, got brought here, but I do believe in this is the home of the free and land of the brave. Okay, let's do it. If this is what we really believing in, then I need to start being treated as an equal. And we've gone through the civil rights march. So now we're in the Black Lives Matter era. And, and and we have still yet to be seen as equals. And so I'm sharing with you tonight that that is something that is on my heart that I really think that we should start focus on as the black community. Because to walk outside these doors, I know somebody has to be praying for me every day to make sure I make it from point A to point B. That it's not gonna be a misidentity. I'm not gonna have to be worried about, because I am a black man, who drives a nice car that has a good job? Like I wear shirts and t- suits and ties sometimes. I don't know, I've worn a jacket in a while, but I wear nice shirts and ties and slacks, and I look I I dress appropriately, but yet I still get the side eyes, or I get the people moving their purse out the way, thinking I'm a thug, and and the problem is it's because of the color of my skin. It has nothing nothing to do with me being a black man. I mean, being a man itself, it's because I'm black. So there is a disservice that happens to us as black men and we have to first acknowledge it. And and I'm saying this because I'm I'm about to get into something really deep real quick that a lot of us don't talk about, but we have to acknowledge it and we have to come to an understanding that there are curses that we have to break and that we've been fighting for years. Um, I remember the first time I ever experienced racism, I was actually living in New York and um we we moved back to new york from idaho um and i went to school i was going to school and this young white kid was like you a darky you just you you a darky we are going to start calling you garbage bag and literally like i'm trying to figure out why 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 the hostility like i i haven't said nothing to this kid but obviously the household that he was raised in even though we're talking about up north we're talking about new york uptown that doesn't mean that racism didn't exist or bigotry didn't exist. That was my first real, because my the rest of my life, other, other part of my life, I lived in Idaho where we had our own black church. You know what I mean? Like we were literally it was segregated within the military and we'd fellowship with the other white church every once in a while. But that was it. And then but all my friends were white. There wasn't a lot of us black people on the base, but I mean, there was enough. But I was I had all, most of my friends were white kids. So to come to a New York City, a place that's supposed to be the melting pot and experience my first racial situation was deep. And then I had to come, then I came down south. And this is the place where I really learned about the color of my skin and what people thought about me. Because I do, I, I was a talker, I ain't gonna lie. I was one of the kids in your class that was always talking. Teacher tell you to shut up and I'm still talking. I was one of those kids. But as I got older, I realized that there was a lot of favoritism between blacks and whites. Uh, when I started taking advanced courses is when I seen it the most. Um, I seen how the black kids were coddled. Even though we were intelligent, we were in advanced courses. I mean, I may have been bad, but I was smart. I was in an advanced course, and I was coddled throughout my, my course compared to the other white kids who they figured they were already set. They had their own clique. So when I got in there, there's only two of us black kids in that class. I was coddled. Like she made sure that I got things, like extra points for things that I'm like, why? I'm I'm as intelligent as these kids. But I came, I had to realize something. I'm as intelligent as them, but they've been programmed from the age of five on up. That education is important. And I'm not saying that my parents didn't teach me that. But they literally would send their kids to special kids, special schools. They went to private schools. They had the extra tutors. They were learning extra languages. There were all these extras that that, because we live in two different worlds now. We got to remember, with two different United States. My parents came from the projects of New York. And they're doing great now, but they had to grow up from something. Compared to kids who are literally coming out of landfall, one of the wealthiest places in Wilmington and Forest Hills, and literally being molded to run this country two different worlds, two different Americas. And I had to learn that. I had to see that. So I'm trying to get into all these schools and then somebody said, why don't you go to HBCU? I never even thought about that. So I want to go into the great North Carolina Central University Eagle Pride all day for any of you Aggies on here. Um, But I learned about the history and the struggles we had to go through and the people that, the things that we had to fight and the simple fact that we're still fighting it to this day. It's just on a different scale. Because then we're going to talk about pay. We talk about um, medical medical distribution. We talk about uh, housing and how, how housing is designed to keep you stuck in the loop of getting support from the government. I never knew these things until I got into went to an HBCU because they give you they give you an education. They give you an education, so I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot of bad bad traits, but I learned a lot, to be honest with you. I learned a great deal of how to survive in a world that wasn't designed for me to win it. And it's hard to say, but it's the truth. This world, is, as much as we are supposed to be an equal opportunity country, this world is not designed for Black people to win it. It, it, never, it wasn't created or designed for women to win it either. Like We all have to fight. There's a struggle. And so we have two different worlds that we're fighting in. And as we go through this fight, the one thing that we never get to really touch upon and fix or address is our mental. And that's where I really wanted to get to tonight. I I will be honest with you. I've been in therapy probably since uh, October. And it has really changed a lot of things for me. Realizing that I've been trying to control something I'm not going to be able to control. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to break a system myself that we can only break together. So as a young black man, and I still call myself young, who's trying to survive in this world, there's a lot of things that I am learning that I don't have control over. But then there's a lot of things that I do have control over. I have control over whether or not I wear my pistol to a store and cause a conflict. I have control of whether or not I get my degree and become an attorney. I have the control to really change my atmosphere and where I'm at and how I respond to people. I have that ability. And that's something that the, that the government can't control. They can't control our thoughts. They, they, As much as they try to hush and silence us, and, and this is just something that I've noticed and I, I've been, I'm not going to say I've experienced it personally, but I've seen with a lot of the leaders in the world who have tried to come up against the government and make changes. We've seen how they've been silenced, how they've been how they've been manipulated, persuaded, um, how they've been been ragged on. I mean, if we look at Malcolm X, we look at Martin Luther King, the tapes that they did, Huey P. Newton, uh, Marcus Garvey, uh, Langston Hughes, Thurgood Marshall. All these things, all these great men. Shoot, if I go to poetry, Zora Zora Neale Hurston. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many. There's all of them flooding through my head. But like, there's so many Black artists who literally came out and spoke up against the racism and things that we were dealing with, and they were all silenced in one, one sh- way, shape, or form. Either they lost something or they took something. Like, shoot, Rosa Parks almost lost her life. She made a decision to sit on a bus because she was tired of being treated the way she's been treated. She didn't want to go in the back of the bus. She was tired. So me, I'm tired too, but my tired is I'm going to figure out how to get my mental health as strong as possible so that every step that I take moving forward in this world, I'm successful and that I can help the next generation of young black men to see how important it is to push through, to fight for yourself, to not, to not waver in your faith. Don't waver in your believing in yourself, man. That's the most important thing. So yes, this is a little deep, but I just want to be honest. I want to be transparent. You know, that's what I like to do. Um, I can be fluffy fellow all day long, but at the same time, I'm a, I'm a black man in America who has to figure out how to survive on a daily basis. And, 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 not only survive, but be successful. To be successful, to be, to be something that is a molded, mold in the community. I don't want my name to just be out there because I do a podcast. I want my name to be out there so people understand that we can accomplish anything. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can accomplish anything. I would did not I did not grow up in the uh uh I I'm not going to be I'm not going to lie i I'd be jealous of my parents. My parents are in a nice house. They do whatever they want. They travel when they want. They you know, they live in it up. We didn't grow up that way. But I I learned I, the jealousy is more of an envy and ready for getting to that next level also because my parents struggled. They fought through a lot of adversity. Even though the blessings were on them and even though God's anointing was on their lives, they still had to fight for everything that they got. My mom is probably one of the most outspoken people I've ever met in my life. And I emphasize ever met. Because she stands up for what she believes. If you're doing wrong, she's going to say something. And if the consequences are you don't like her, then you don't like her. But she will not be silenced. And I need to be that way every day of my life and I'm learning to be that way. I'm learning to to be as strong of a black man as I can be and not allow other people to dictate who I am or what I do or when I do it or how I do it. Because guess what? They don't control that, I do. If somebody don't wanna give me their business because I'm black, Great, because I know that there are other businesses out there that will take my money because it's green. And I'm going to fight for what I want. I'm not going to just sit back and allow things to happen. None of us should. This, this is supposed to be our month of recognition, of of admiration, and to really support each other because this is Black History Month. Now, we should be doing this every day. But I'm going to emphasize the month because it's something that we all know about. Every day, you should be wanting to push somebody to be the greatest thing that they can be. Every day, you should be talking to other black people and encouraging them. Every day, we as a society, as a community, should be finding out ways that we can help each other financially so that we can all get to the next level. There are other ethnic groups that literally will live 20 to a house, to a four bedroom house, because what they do is they they save the money, get it together, and they buy, everybody buys a house for the next person. That's where we need to be. Yeah, and it is, it's an admiration, it's an admiration. When I say jealousy, it's not real jealousy, I, I love my parents. I, I mean, I, they've done a lot. But we need to get to a point where we're supporting each other and building each other up. There's no reason why my my neighbor, who was black, should be broke, and I've got an excess funds. If you have not read the book, um, Believers Believe, I need you to go get it. Written by Roscoe Harris, Roscoe N. Harris, uh, which is my dad. But there's some stories in there that you need to learn about and, and see how my grandmother literally committed to looking out for other people, and making sure that everybody was taken care of that's where i learned how to be a human being because it's not about me being black at that point it's about me being a human being I, if i told you how many people lived with my family because something went on in their lives and my parents had an extra room and we sacrificed to make sure they live with us they had somewhere to live it's crazy i know my probably my last probably like oh at least five years of school somebody was living with us my parents were making sure people were taken care of because that was how that was the humane thing to do so i say all this to say we have to get our stuff together we have to come on one accord we have to really grow and we have to understand that it's not just about the physical there are mental things that we need to work on with each other, communicate, which just imagine if you talk to people about what's going on in your head and how you're feeling, what a relief it would be. So I'm encouraging you today, Mr. Fluffy, AKA Mr. Evo, out here in these streets, telling you that it is okay to communicate so that we can all heal and get better. Because when we're healed and get better, We are going to turn this world upside down. And and I'm saying it like we literally could have the biggest movement ever if we all just joined forces and made some small changes. Black Panther Party was probably one of the best examples of what we can do for our own communities. Serving breakfast, serving lunch, providing clothes, providing shoes, Paying rent, like literally as a community, they did this. Now, I'm not talking about all the civil stuff that they went through. I'm talking about the community based love and support that they showed one another to make sure that their brothers and sisters in their communities were not hurting and stopped and, and that they stopped depending so much on the government to take care of us because we've complained so much about what the government doesn't do for us but we go to the government for everything in the world. And if we came together as entrepreneurs, business owners, doctors, lawyers, um, CPAs, if we came together as a community and tapped into our community, do you know the change we can make in this world? Do you know how if we wanted, if we knew somebody who was vetted and could control themselves and handle themselves in Congress, we could literally make a decision, have a community conversation, and raise that person up through the ranks. Because there are other nationalities that do that all the time. We could do it, we have the ability. We are the global majority. Think about that. We, us Hispanics, we are the global majority of the United States. We make up the largest portion of the US and yet we are not the ones running this country. Think about that. Because we all want me, mine, and that's it. It's a different time though, T. We can't go off the based off the past anymore. You know, that's what stops us from growing forward. The issue is, and she, her comment is, is that we did that one time and, and the government bombed us. And that's cool. But guess what? If we always move in the fear that the government's going to shut us down again, we'll never move forward. That's what's stopping us. People don't want to hear that we can, we can make a difference. But but then, because there's always that one person says, well, when we did it back, no, okay, I get it. There was there's going to always be turmoil. But guess what? Without conflict, there can be no resolution. Because we'll let things keep on sliding under the table. We'll never stand up for ourselves. We'll never have the ability to make a change, to cause change and to be what we need to be. It's a mentality. But guess what? Everybody's so stuck in dealing with their own mess and things going on in their lives and they haven't healed from it. They can't think for it. we have to make this change we have to make these decisions we have to fight this we can do it and i'm not saying like in violence like think about it if we came together and we literally made the decision to vote on something as a group a collective group where this person literally would be to benefit what we need to be done in the united states we can make that change I'm not being an anarchist. I'm not being um, a troublemaker. I'm being a realist. And the reality is, is that if we come together and we join forces and unite as a community, we can affect change. And we can teach young black men and young black women that they are valuable. Because that is the hardest thing that I've seen, is that we are not teaching them how valuable they are. We're teaching them that they just need to make it through, lay under the radar, and they'll be okay. I don't. I wanna teach them that it's beyond being a rapper or a ball player or sports. We've t- said this for generation after generation. Be an attorney who makes, you can make a good salary as an attorney, taking care of your people, protecting your people. You can be a doctor who's working on viruses and learning how they affect the black community. I was told not to take medication the other day because it kills black people. I'm like, okay, but these people are still giving this medication to me, even though it kills black people. So that means nobody's been advocating for me this whole time. They're giving me what they think that's best for me, in their opinion, not even considering that it could kill a black person. Don't you think there's something wrong with that? So, I hope that you guys are hearing my heart. You know, this was not, uh, this. I had plans, but this was really, I was trying to figure out how to go through, you know, what I was going to do today. And I've been thinking about it, but I was sitting in the car and I was coming home and I was having a discussion. Um, and during the discussion, I heard this. You got to be honest and transparent about what you're dealing with, not only mentally, but as a black man. Um, Because a lot of people are not going to understand what we go through. Um, I can't talk for a black woman. I know that it's hard for black women. Shoot, we make it hard for them as black men. We give them so many reasons to not trust us, to not feel like we're going to be there to support them. I mean, there are things that we do that we need to stop doing because we're supposed to be the head. We're supposed to be the head, not the tail. We're supposed to be the leader of the house. We're supposed to be the leader of the community. That's the mandate that we were giving, and we are slipping. We are slipping terribly I, I I can admit I was one of them. I'm trying to do my best now to get better. so I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation this real talk. I try to keep it 100 as much as I can and let you guys get a little glimpse of who I am because I don't always give these sides of me. you may get the funny side, the smart side, the conceited side, but at the same time I'm also. Jay. I'm also a young man who's trying to make it in the world that sometimes it seems like it's not designed for me to win in. And I just want to win. And I want you to win. And I want us to be successful. And I want us to be happy. And I want us to grow together. So I hope that you had a good time tonight. I hope that this was a um, something I would encourage you, Let you know that if you are dealing with this, not the only one. Um, but I'm out. I love you. I hope that you have a Great rest of your week on purpose. Make sure you go get the book, Believers Believe. It's on Amazon, Pastor Roscoe Harris. And, and uh I love you guys. Peace. Duh. Music. i be writing in my own